0: Listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. Last week, we kind of finished with a little bit of a cliffhanger, right? If you were here last week, we kind of stopped mid story and just left you hanging. And I'm going to keep you hanging there for just a few more minutes because before we jump into the story, I want us to talk about something that is really important and to be honest with you it's something that probably all of us in this room have struggled with at times in our life it's also if we're really honest and transparent it it might even be something that you're really wrestling with right now something that is irking you on your insides and Here's the thing. This thing that we need to talk about. This thing is actually a really, really good thing. It's it, it's it's amazing when it is given out. But the problem is when this thing is given out, so many people have so many different responses to it that it makes you wonder what is the deal? How can one thing initiate so many different even reactions? to it being received by people. And, and, and some people, when they receive it, they're full of joy and like literally like will come to tears in, in how overwhelmed they are at receiving it. Other people, when they uh, receive it, feel unworthy and like they never deserved what it, they are, are being given. And, and then other people watch as other people get it and feel angry or mad that they're getting it and they're not. it creates all sorts of things and then other times there's still just a lot of confusion about like why would that person get more than the other and this thing that we need to talk about before we get back to our story is uh something i got a whole bucket full of up here um it, it it is abundant surprisingly it is a bucket of grace and here's the cool thing. God has like infinity of these blue buckets full of grace. Contrary to what you might have heard, and this bucket of grace just helps us remember that that God gives out grace miraculously, abundantly. But here's what I want you to understand. When Jesus uh, would extend grace to people, it was often uh, a point of frustration. It was often a point of confusion or uh, disruption. Like, people didn't like how Jesus gave out grace. And they didn't like who he gave out grace to. And I think in a lot of sense, uh, many of us can still struggle with that same thing. We can get frustrated with who God gives grace to, right? Why? Why is it that one person gets it and another person doesn't? And and we can get hung up on that. Now, here's the cool thing I love about Jesus. He told a lot of stories, and stories I like because I can relate to a good story, and a story helps me understand things, and that's exactly what Jesus did. He told stories to help people understand what his father is like, what God is like, because we're trying to wrap our brains around something that's pretty abstract. Uh, a God that's somewhere out there that we can't touch, see, or feel in, in a real physical sense, he, who gives out stuff from this bucket that we can't touch, feel, or see. And, and sometimes we can get a little bit hung up on things, and Jesus was quite aware of that. And so as people struggled with different parts of it, he told stories. He told stories to help them know who God is, what God's like, and to give them really practical concrete examples of things that are pretty abstract in theory. And so he would tell these stories. And for example, he told one story to help people who were wrestling with understanding who gets grace and and why do some people get it and others don't and so forth. And so he told this story in Matthew chapter 20. It's going to be in your sermon notes uh, as well. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them uh, to work, uh, out to work. At 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and he saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them telling them that he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon, and again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. At 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around, and he asked them, Why haven't you been working today? And they replied, Because no one hired us. We just like to keep things simple in these stories, right? And nobody hired us. So the landowner told them, Go out and join others in my vineyard. Well, that evening... He told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. So when those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. And when those hired first uh, came to get their pay, they assumed that they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. And when they received their pay, they protested to the owner Those people worked only an hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid all of us who worked all day in the scorching heat. Well, he answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I want to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to another? Uh, those who are last now will be first, Jesus is telling them, and those who will be first will be last. So what was their problem, the workers? What was their beef with the landowner? It's not fair. Man, I don't know. Have you guys heard that anywhere lately? Gosh, it seems like I, this must have been solved by now, right? Like this whole everything needs to be fair. And so they were, they, their struggle was it's not fair. Based on what? Based on what were their criteria? there. Criteria. That's the key word. It was based on their perception of how it should be fair. And so they're like, sitting from my seat over here in the employee chair, I really think this would have been more fair. And the landowner gets to remind them, like, I don't know if you guys realize this, but it's my checkbook and I can pay who I want, what I want, when I want. That's the beauty of having the checkbook, right? And Jesus, remember, is telling this story on purpose to give us a tangible example of what God is like. God is like a landowner who keeps going out on the lookout for people who are on the outside, who have been excluded, who haven't been invited in, who aren't able to take care of themselves, so to speak. And he offers them something. And if they accept his offer, his invitation to come, then they receive salvation that comes by grace and it doesn't matter if they come early in the story or in the middle of the day or late in their life whenever they come if they accept his invitation they all receive the same salvation that comes by grace and so there's this idea with who comes but it's also something that we wrestle with a lot I think is how much grace God gives out it's not just like Who gets it, but also how much. And so Jesus tells another story to help us understand, like, this idea of uh, the amount of grace a person might receive and why it could possibly be even different. So here's a story he tells in uh, Luke chapter 7. <clears throat> he says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So when he, uh, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Now take note, just a little side note. Um, Jesus is accepting dinner uh, to go uh, to an invitation with the Pharisee. I think often we kind of think like, oh, the whole context of this story is Jesus has accepted an invitation to go and eat with sinners and tax collectors, and the Pharisees are upset with them, and we kind of think of Jesus and the Pharisees always at odds, which is not a right understanding. Jesus is accepting this invitation to come and eat with them, and so it's in that context where this actual event plays out. Verse 37, it says, When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume, and then she knelt behind him at his feet weeping, and her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept on kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. But well, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he uh, said to himself, This is the same kind of uh, imagery we get in the story in Luke 15 about the younger son coming to himself, thinking to himself. So this is like the Pharisee is literally at dinner with Jesus, thinking to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of a woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Super cool party trick. You will definitely impress your friends. Let me know if you figure it out. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to the other, and neither of them could repay him. So, kindly, he forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, Look, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me any water to wash the dust from my feet, but she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil uh, to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. He says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many have been forgiven, so, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Do you see these stories? Jesus is engaging with people and giving them real life examples because he understands that his audience and us still today struggle with who gets God's grace, and we also can struggle with how much goes to who. And we wrestle with this issue of fairness. Now, with that in your kind of peripheral vision now, with this idea of grace and understanding a little bit about who God is and how God gives out grace and to who God gives out grace, kind of God's take on grace we've got that kind of in view now now i want us to jump back into the story from last week if you missed it i would say jump online watch it. It's one that there's uh, a lot of times you could listen or watch a message if you missed it and it doesn't really matter a whole bunch. This one, I would encourage you to try and go on YouTube and watch it because some of the uh, pictures and stuff helped kind of tell the story visually. So I would say go back and watch it on YouTube. Um, So where we left off the story was with this younger son. We were in Luke 15 looking at the parable of the lost son and we were at the spot where this cliffhanger spot where he's at the end. He's coming to his senses, he's thinking to himself, like, holy smokes, I've, I've blown all my money, like I, I, he basically spent his way into poverty, like we looked at last week, he spent his way into poverty, and, and he is now also on, to make matters worse, there was a famine, and so things are really tough, and so he humiliates himself by taking the worst job he could ever dream of having, he's feeding pigs, and he kind of comes to his senses thinking to himself there, about how good things are back home at his father's place, where even the hired hands have food to eat. And here he can't even eat the slop from the pigs. And so he actually it hatches a plan. He says, oh, Back home, and the hired hands get to eat. And so I'm going to go back home. I'm going to tell my dad I sinned against him, I sinned against God. And, and the least you could do is give me a job, right? Like, I know I'm not going to get my back in as a son, right? But, but the least you could do is give me a job. And so he is wrestling with like my circumstances. I've done things that have led to circumstances that are no bueno. That's French for no good. He doesn't like his situation. And so what does he do? He hatches a plan. I'm going to go home. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to figure out how to eat a little bit better, right? So He heads back home. Now, as he goes back home, I, I want you to imagine like what he's going back home to. He goes back home to this small rural village, right? Um, This village, there will be a picture that'll pop up here just to help us remember. This village that he goes back home to, uh, he left there, so he leaves Garrisaw, this big, huge, epic, awesome city. He comes back to what is much more rural. It's a little bit like going from Las Vegas to Bonner's Ferry. I'm more Bonner's Ferry, right? It is like, make do with what you've got. These are like foundations of individual houses in a rural village like the one that Jesus would have been in and teaching from. There's a synagogue there. You can see how there's not real big straight lines. It's not laid out perfectly. It just sort of built one off of the other, off of the other, and everything sort of just blends in together around each other. And so this is the kind of place that this boy is going home to. Now take a look at Luke chapter 15, verse 20 says, He returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, which is pretty fascinating. And I think a lot of us out of the context of kind of what that village might've looked like, we can imagine ourselves in our own circumstances, living on the Palouse. We can sort of imagine ourselves. We can always see a long ways off, right? Welcome to the world we live in where you just have to get more than seven feet off the ground and you can see a long ways off. Like that's just the Palouse. And and that's not the situation for this father. This father was in this rural village. Streets aren't laid out. It's not a Greek type system for building a city. And so if he leans out the door, he's going to see like his neighbor's wall, right? Like he's going to look out his window, he's going to see the brick across the street. So for a father to see his son coming from a long ways off, we get a sense that Jesus is trying to help us understand what this father was like that he was out on the edge of town, that he was near the edge of the city wall, if you will, and out on the perimeter, and that he was actually there probably often, keeping an eye out for this son. Would he come back? Is he going to come back? Will I ever get to see him again? That he's out there looking. And then... And then what's amazing is what the scriptures say, what Jesus says about this dad. It says in the rest of Luke fifteen twenty. he says that the dad was filled with love and compassion and he ran to his son, right? He embraced him and he kissed him. Like this is a welcome thing to kiss someone is to welcome them. It's like, a, it's, it says all sorts of things all at once. It's like, we're good, I love you, you're fine. It says all kinds of things. But you remember, we've talked about this before. Old men in this culture don't run, right? It's dishonorable. It is not cool. It's a, a shameful thing. And I know for a lot of us in the world that we live in, to, to, to hear us say an old man running is not a thing that happens. And we're like, that's weird. I don't know if I believe it. You're just gonna have to take my word for it. It's true, right? Old men in that culture don't run. And so he picks up his robe he shames himself to run. And it's interesting is the word that, that Jesus puts in here to describe the way this old man run as this, runs is the same word that Paul uses to describe the way an Olympic runner runs a race. And so you get this idea that this guy, it's not just like a little old man shuffle, right? Like he is going for it as fast as this old man could run when he sees his son that day, the day that comes when he sees his son, like, could that be him? Is that the guy? I recognize the walk. Like, like, I get a sense that that's really him. And as he gets closer, it's him. He runs to him. He wraps his arms around him, filled with compassion, gives him a hug, gives him a kiss. It's a pretty cool picture that we get right there. Now, I want to introduce you to something that isn't described in the story but it's a practice that would have been common at this time it became more formalized and got names and tradition around it shortly after Jesus's time but certainly in this time the practice would have been in place it's a thing called kazaza all right try that one out kazaza all right fun word to say not a cool thing So kazaza is a a practice where uh, the tradition is sort of like this. If you're a Jew and you lose your family inheritance or family lands to a Gentile, it means you're essentially excommunicated from your community. Like that, that's like uh, an unforgivable sin, an unpardonable sin. And so you're, you're cast out. And they would do that through a ceremony. So the person, like this younger son that went and blew all of his inheritance and lost his, his family uh, lineage uh, in a far-off land, t- t- squandered it to uh, Gentiles, when he comes back, he would have been expecting... I'm going to have to figure out how to navigate this there's a good chance I'm going to get met with Kazaza. The community comes together. They gather a a pot, a clay pot full of grain or a bag full of fruit. And and it's done either way. And they grab that pot or that bag full of fruit and they grab that person, that offending person. And then they grab the community and kind of do like a, a public hearing in front of them. And then through this ceremony, they grab this fruit in front of them and they rip the bag. to to have all of the fruit spill out. Or they break the pot to have all of the, the grain fall out. And it's a way of saying to that person, your fruitfulness here in this community is done. Your life, you're not gonna bear fruit here anymore. You're out. Now, knowing this knowing this practice it helps us get a little bit of a sense of why that dad would have been hanging out on the edge of town the way he would have been on the lookout for his son because he's thinking like i know these are the conditions i know this is what's going to happen to him like i full well know what he has coming to him because of his choices and so he hangs out there and he's like there's got to be a way there I, I have to intercept i have to get back him i have to get to him first there's got to be a way for this dad to welcome him home. To get to him before the community gets to him. Because even if, if the community gets to him, maybe he's not excommunicated from his dad. But he's certainly not going to be welcome in that village anymore. And so the dad runs to him. He shames himself to get to him. He wraps his arms around him. He gives him a hug. He gives him a kiss. And check this out. like No confession no confession, no uh, no accusations by the dad. No awesome dad lecture. Parents, we know who we are, right? Welcome home. I love you. I'm your dad. Now, here's what's really cool. Do you want to do you want to see the effect of this kind of grace? Remember where the son was when he left with the pigs. Remember what was coming, what he was thinking to himself. He was thinking to himself, I got to figure out a way to get myself out of this. I got to figure out how to fix my life. He wasn't repentant. He was scheming. I'm going to go home. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to figure out how to eat. It's going to be less sucky than it is now, but it's still not going to be great. But I got a plan. May not be the best plan, but it's my plan. None of us have ever had any of this in our head, right? Right? that's where he was there but look what happens after this hug and this kiss from his dad Luke fifteen twenty one. it says the son said to the to him father I have sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son do you catch the difference Do you see the difference? This is what's so cool about digging into God's word and just really chewing and stirring over things. He lost the plan. He dropped the scheme. Now he's just repentant. He's like, I totally blew it. I I totally sinned against you. I totally sinned against God. I don't even deserve to be your son anymore. No plan. He's not trying to fix it on his own. He's just there that that's repentance. That's the amazing thing that grace does. It, it, it has this way of bringing about repentance about uh, opening the door for repentance, unlike any other thing. It, one of the things that I think is so important for us to realize through all of these stories is that is that the, the sheep doesn't get to dictate the terms about how it's going to come home, right? The sheep doesn't dictate the terms. It doesn't add anything to the equation. The coin doesn't get to dictate the terms about how it gets found. It doesn't get to add anything to the story, right? The son, likewise, doesn't get to dictate the terms about how he comes home. He just brings himself and hears. He's met with the terms, You see, what God is trying to help us understand is that, is that for sinners, we, God's just asking us to accept being found. Right? I did not find God. God found me. And, and it was up to me to accept the terms. Do I want to go to the vineyard or do I want to stay here on the street now here's something that just reading this and chewing on it like I don't know if this is a for sure thing right I don't know if this is exactly what happened obviously we're using our imagination to kind of stretch and think about what this, this story would have been like. Jesus is telling a story, and we're fleshing out the story to learn more about who God is and what God's like. But this father in this story that was waiting on the edge of town, that was eager for his lost son to come back and that he just kept keeping an eye out for him. And and then he was willing to shame himself, to run to him, to get to his son first before anybody else could to embrace him. I kind of have this sense that, that that younger son experiencing that kind of shameless grace changed his heart. something switched in his response to his father. It, it reminds me a whole bunch of a God who was willing to leave heaven, who was willing to humble himself, to be born in a stinky shepherd's cave or a manger, who was willing to be shamed on a cross, nearly naked, ridiculed by the crowd that looked on, all the while enduring all of it with this idea of, if this is what it takes to get my kids home, if this is what it takes, a lot of us in the room are moms and dads and all of you have one. And I think if you just stop and think for a second about the length to which a parent would go to rescue a child, it's hard not to have it sort of tug on your heart and relate a little bit. But there's, there's more, check this out. Luke 15, 22. Uh, he says, the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Bring a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. Uh, for this son of mine was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party begins. Right? The party begins. And it's easy, I think, for us to understand. Like, we're celebrating that this lost son has been found, right? Like, like woohoo, this is so awesome. Like, this guy had totally screwed up his life, and now he's back. And he's back in the good graces of his father. Like, that's amazing. What a cool thing to celebrate. But what, what I want us to not miss is that we're celebrating with this father who was willing to stand on the edge of town, who was willing to run to his son, to shame himself, to embrace him, and to just reach out in here and grab buckets of grace and wrap him around and give him a big old hug and a kiss and say, welcome home. No lecture, no pep talk, no accusations, and we're celebrating with that father who found... like like. Think about this for a second. Like, just just give yourself a little bit of a concrete way of thinking about this. You're in Walmart, you see a parent that's frantic and they're freaking out and it's a dad and he's like, oh my gosh, I lost my kid and I think they might've went outside and this happened and they're just, panicked and all of a sudden a bunch of people are looking for him and everybody's freaking out and you realize this goes from like this might be an overprotective parent to really serious really fast and you're like your heart's hurting you're like nervous you're now running up and down the aisles of walmart what was she wearing what did she look like you're freaking out all of a sudden after an hour of looking like this was not a little thing you got locked into this and all of a sudden someone comes forward with this little girl and reunites her with her dad and the dad just drops to his knees and cries in front of you in Walmart. Tell me you don't cry. Tell me you don't feel in your heart what that dad is feeling. That you don't start to celebrate a little bit like, hallelujah, like I feel like we should have a party. Like, right? That's what we're celebrating. And I hear Jesus talking to these Pharisees and religious leaders that he was telling these stories to about lost sheep and lost coins and lost sons. He he was telling them, like, yes, you're right to be holy. Holiness is important, but in this situation, you're wrong. He's telling them you're wrong. He, he's actually inviting them like, listen, stop, get off your high horse and come sit at the table with me. Do you, do you understand? We've been invited by sinners and tax collectors. We've been invited by lost sons and daughters that, that people don't know where they are. They've been lost. We have been searching for them forever. And here they are, and they want us to eat with them. Like, Just come on. Get down here. So here's the thing. If the, if the main point of all of these stories is to help us really highlight the, the love of a God who will work tirelessly, even shamelessly, in, in order to bring back lost sons or daughters, then there's another point that kind of goes along with it. And that's this idea of join us, right? Will you join me? Will you show them grace? Not standing back from afar, yelling at them and telling them all the things they're doing wrong before they ever even get near the house, right? Like the lecture started before the car even turned off. Not that. Not, not sitting back like quietly, just, you know, going like, oh, look at how bad they screwed their life up. They've dug such a big hole. Like what a bunch of idiots and talking about all the ways they've wronged. Like they've got themselves into their mess in judgment. Not that, but to, but to join us is the message from God. To come and, and be a part of this. I, I hope through this series, you're really starting to wrap your arms around this idea that God is inviting us to be on mission with Him in redeeming people, buying them back, restoring them to the Father's house. He's, he's inviting us to be set apart, a, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, like set apart for something, not out of the world, but in the world, but really different. We got these weird tassels. Everybody Everywhere we go, people want to know what's different about us. Why do you do what you do, right? Like, we live our life in a way like we're wearing a tassel. We're putting our God on display, and God is inviting us to partner with him. I love how Paul talks about it. This is in your sermon notes. In uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back uh, to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Like, literally, listen, this is not just the church in Corinth. This is all who will put their faith in Christ. You people here right now, Real Life Church Pullman, you have been given the message of reconciliation. You have been given the privilege of sharing with people who Christ is. He says, we are Christ's ambassadors. We get to rep for Jesus. And God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Like, holy smokes. Do you guys get a seat? Like, do you hear what's going on? Like, like Jesus is saying, like, I want to make my appeal through you. Here's the cool part. God did all the work, Right? he's bringing people, he's making people right. He's paying their debt. He's filling in their holes. He's fixing their mess ups. He's wiping their slate clean. He's already done all that work. Like, so I can hear some of us going like, okay, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to be an ambassador. I'm going to tell the message of reconciliation. I'm going to tell people come back to God. And you know what I'm going to hear? Because I've heard it before and I've thought it myself. You don't know how far I went away. You don't know how bad I am. You don't know what I've done wrong. You don't know how bit of a screw up I am, how big of a hole I've dug or how big of a mess I've made. Like, I don't really think God wants me. If I walk into a church, it's going to get struck by lightning. You don't want me there. The little place will burn down. If I had a dollar every time I heard that, I wouldn't need a paycheck. Seriously, like people joke, but they say, they're joking in the context of what they really believe. Here's what's really cool. You're going to hear those things. You know what's awesome? Here's what's so awesome is you get to say to those people who say but, 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 all this stuff. You get to say to those people, I don't really need to know about any of that. I don't, I'm not the one that fixes that. That's God's department, and I'm just here to tell you he already fixed it. I just came to tell you it's okay to come home. And, and you might think you're gonna get a lecture when you get there, and you might think you're gonna get beat over the head when you get there. You might think you're gonna get grounded. You might think you're gonna get your door taken off, like whatever, right? You might think, but all I can tell you is, from my experience, is, man, I'm so glad I came home. And you can share your story about how you got this and not judgment from God. We just get to remind people that God loves them, that God was willing to shame himself to meet them where they're at. That's very much where God's at right now, and that's, that's how we're gonna just kind of wrap up right now. We're gonna, um, we're gonna finish with some worship together as a family, and, and I just wanna say that if you're in a spot right now where you're like, uh, I've been away for a while, and I'm more on the younger son still trying to figure out a plan, like if you're in the spot where life is not what you want it to be and you're still trying to fix it yourself, man, I would invite you to just throw the towel in on that plan. It's hard. And it never really seems to work. And so if that's where you're at today, as we worship, we're going to have some people that are up here just to pray with you. And, and even after church, like some, it's weird sometimes to come in front of people and that's okay. We just want to make sure that you have an opportunity. If you're ready to be like, I'm, I'm sick and tired of trying to figure this all out on my own and I'm ready to just come home, I'm ready to drop the scheme, I'm ready to drop the plan, I'm ready to just come back to God and say, okay, here I am, I messed up. You're ready to receive grace? Then I hope today's the day that you stop trying to figure it out on your own. I want to just share something for you before we dismiss, and I save this for right now because um, if I started with this, and I really thought about starting with this because it seemed like the right place for it to be, but if I started with it, my like I just couldn't have got through this message. To, to preach a message and to stand up here and say what I was able to say and believe what I'm saying, that God is a good God who stands on the edge of town and waits to welcome you home with grace... And love is not something that I have come to easily or quickly. I I grew up with a single mom as the oldest of uh, four kids and not a dad um, engaged. And worse off, a dad, and I say this again, I really am careful about what I say. One, because this goes out to the world. Two, because I don't want to be unnecessarily disrespectful in a bad way, irregardless of his choices. But I had a dad who uh, chose not to have us and opted a different plan for life. And I'm 49 years old. And at 49 years old, I still have a hard time with not being wanted by my dad. It's by the grace of God that I can tell you that God, the Father, is not like my dad. And it's not a put down on my dad, but it's a lift up of how good God is. Yes. And so I just want to finish. I just, I just felt like I needed to share that with you because unfortunately, I know that there are a lot of hard dad stuffs in the room and if you're in a spot where like, the thing that has been the obstacle from you coming home is because your life dad has painted a picture for you or given you experiences that have made you feel like it's really hard to believe that God would actually be different than your dad, All, I just need you to know he is, and it's time to come home. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.